This morning I've got, uh, I, there was one announcement that I, that I missed out on and that uh, it's very important to me and that's Formula One starts in a couple of weeks. <laughs> you didn't expect that, did you? Huh? But the 3rd to the 4th of March, we'd be watching Formula One cars in Bahrain going really fast around the track. So there's a couple of pictures that I brought. For those that might have missed it. So there was the big launch of Formula One cars. Uh, I think they're looking super fast this year. Hopefully that horse will be, have some speed. There's, of course, Ferrari. Um, it's like the face of Formula One. And uh, I don't know the guys that don't follow Formula One yet uh, closely. Because my kids said, remember, Dad, not everybody likes Formula One. But, and I said to him, just wait for it. I'm, I'm working at it. Everybody would, in time, come around and love Formula One. So I'd like you to, to have a look. It's like, those are the new cars. They look to, some of you, they might look exactly like they did 80 years ago, 20 years ago. They don't. They're vastly different from last year. Um, so the, the Ferrari, I, I specifically took the photograph that shows it from head on. And... Uh, just a note for those that are going to follow Formula One. So when they win in Bahrain, Ferrari, um, then Mercedes-Benz is going to say, but wait a minute, they used the design on their front wing, which last year we were told we can't use. Yeah. So you think that that car is the same as all the other ones, but it's not. Look at that front wing design. It's beautiful. And they've actually managed to get through the FIA regulations and do something that Mercedes wanted to do last year, but Ferrari managed to implement that in a legal way. And watch that space, because that's going to make them faster. What's the point? <laughs> am I bringing this back to God's word? I am. Who of you think that those cars look very much alike? Yeah. They do. They do. They do look alike. Who, who thinks they look very different to one another? I do. They've got different colors for one. Come on. Not one had the same color. One was red. One was green. One was black. Uh, I purposefully didn't have the black one there. Um, <laughs> so, and it's, it's a bit of a side note, but it isn't a very important one this morning. So, God made us in his image. Right. So that's what we were made to be. We were made to be in God's image. It doesn't mean in the end we are clones. So most of the people that know me know I love Star Wars, but we're a little bit more like Formula One than we are like Star Wars. In Star Wars you have got stormtroopers and clones. And they are identical, especially the clones. They are identical clones. God doesn't want you, as you are being transformed into his image, to become a clone. And therefore, in worship this morning, there's dif there are different expressions of the same thing. One person might be jumping up and down. Another person might be falling down on his knees. And that's okay, because it's, it's the image of God in us that's important, and not 
what's on the outside. And what we do on the outside needs to be something that's driven from the inside and not the other way around. And that's what I want to have a look at this morning is we were made to be in God's image. So just want to look at some scriptures. So Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27. This is the very beginning. Let's just look at that. What did God do? God made Adam. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is the beginning of the story for us. Very important. Why did God make us? He made us to reflect him. That's what he made. He made us so that we could rule over the planet. We could rule over the fish and the sea and everything that God had made. But ruling would have meant reflecting God's very image. Being like God. That's what he made us to be. So, the ultimate deception then came in. So, Satan comes. We know the story, right? Satan comes to the garden in the form of a snake. He speaks to Eve, and he says this. Did God really say that you can't do that? If you do this, that God has commanded you not to do, what would happen? What was the promise? You would be like God. Clever. Huh? Adam and Eve made in the very image of God. And what do they fall for? You can be like God. And this thing struck me this week. I was talking to somebody this week. who said that he grew up. And in his life, he had been taught this. And he was taught that by experiencing something, he would know that it's not good, and then he would choose against it. Right? So by experiencing some part of life, I can know the difference between good and bad. But that is the very lie that caused all the problems. That's what I realized. But in a sense, I don't know about you guys, it's sort of my age, but I grew up and often I would have heard this said, that you raise your children and you instill values in them and godly, and we all got raised in a Christian home. Like so many people say, I was raised in a Christian home. Do you know Jesus? Yes, I was raised in a Christian home. Actually does not make you a Christian. It's that story of like, I can sleep in a garage, but it won't make me a car. Right. By being in a place doesn't make me that thing. By being raised in a Christian home. Guys, if you were just raised in a Christian home, if that's in your head, then that's not enough. Somewhere, you have to become that. Somewhere, you have to make a decision. And I'll give you a chance later to do that. 
So, in the image of God. And then there's that deception that comes in. Unfortunately, Eve falls for it. She actually takes some of that fruit that God said, don't have, you can have anything, don't have this. So, I have thought this in the past, that Adam and Eve were perfect, and therefore they didn't know right from wrong, or wrong from right. But if that's true, then Eve didn't do anything wrong. If Eve genuinely didn't know wrong from from right, then doing the wrong thing would have been okay. Because she wouldn't have known. She knew what was right and what was wrong. So eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't all of a sudden create evil on earth or wrong and right. Because the very thing with what God did is he said to Adam, do not eat of this tree. Immediately Adam knew that there was something that he could do wrong. If he ate of that tree, it would be wrong. So he knew that there was something that he wasn't supposed to do. Right. And he told Eve, I think, if I'm, I'm right, that's how the story goes. He told Eve, and then the snake says, did God really say this? And she looks at the tree, and she goes, oh, actually, this looks good for gaining knowledge. I'm going to partake of this. And whatever happens there, whether it was a fruit that they ate or not, what they do is they experience wrong. They get an experience of something that they shouldn't do. They take from God the decision of what is good for me and what isn't. I want to decide for myself. And they decide for themselves, contrary to what God has said. And now they've experienced evil. And that was when they became intimately um, intimately knowledgeable. So, so experientially knowledgeable about the, the knowledge of, of wrong and right. You get that difference. So they knew in their heads, they knew right and wrong. In their hearts, they knew right and wrong. But they never experienced wrong. They never experienced what it felt like to not be in God's will. And that's what happened right there. As they decided, I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to do this. And in a sense, the devil didn't lie. God being God knows what wrong is because he knows everything. But we weren't meant to. We weren't meant to have that in our image. We were were meant to only have what is right. We were meant to always just follow what the right path is. Never to experience wrong. That was the intent. And right there, the image gets distorted. Right there, something of the image of God is no longer perfectly reflected in us. And it gets transferred down the lines from child to child, from parent to child, from parent to child, till we are here. And we, we still have the image of God in us. It's not, it's not gone. We're still made in the image of God. Good news. Bad news? It's still distorted. It's still not perfect like it used to be. 
So what do we do? Well, ultimately, there was a loss of relationship. There was a loss of relationship. How do we restore that? Well, there's only one way. There is only one way. And that is God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him can have everlasting life. There, that's restored. The moment that you believe in Jesus, the moment that you accept his sacrifice on the cross, instantaneously you have, you have the ability to be back in relationship with God. Right. Does it mean that when I put my hand up in church and says, I want to be saved, does it mean that the image is perfect in me? Definitely not, because I know me. Definitely not. But it's a process that starts right there. Right there, your ability to come into the Father's presence is restored. And immediately God starts working on you. So, let's see, who is Jesus? So in Luke, in the Gospels, we read about Jesus coming. And uh, one of the, some two of the Gospels actually starts with the genealogy of Jesus. I love genealogies. My wife doesn't like it that I like it. Because she says it takes too much of my time to search for ancestors that died long ago. And they only remain on their graves as names and dates. Can't get the fascination. I love it. I love plotting it out. It took me years to find my, my father's grandparents. I personally knew my grandparents, my father's parents. But he, I, was, I used to say my, my, my grandfather was an alien. He was beamed down to earth because he had no parents. I couldn't find him. And then uh, just after we moved to Otsar and actually found his parents. And then I found like a whole tree of people. As I found them, I added them into the genealogy. So here we see the genealogy of Christ. It is important where you're from. Why? I'm going to fast forward through the genealogy of Christ to the end. And it ends with this. It says, it says, Kenan, the son of Enoch. Kenan, the son of Methuselah. Methuselah was the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Machalel, and then, and Seth, the son of Adam. And Adam, who was Adam? The son of God. We can all trace our lineage back to Adam. Maybe there's a couple of blanks somewhere in yours. But you can actually trace your lineage back there. And it'll say, Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. We are descendants of God Almighty. He made Adam in his image and you are his descendant. And when you, when you give your life to Christ, when you accept the price that he paid, the image of God starts becoming clearer and clearer. So, 
what do we need to know to get there? And this is something I, I thought of, is very often it's difficult for us to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going, right? So we're all going on a journey, and I'm saying we're leaving tomorrow. And I'd like you to leave from your home, and we'll get there together. At eight, we're leaving, all of us. Right. So get, get the destination in your head. You've got it. Harry, where are you going? Harry's not leaving at eight. He's staying at home. Uh, Michael, where were you going? He was going to the Seychelles. I said, we're driving. I hope you've got one of those cars that Top Gear made uh, that can drive over the ocean. Uh, who else? Um, Johan, where were you going? I think he's going to George, where his wife is. <laughs> that won't work. And often I think we have that problem. We're all going on a journey, but we don't know where we're going to end up. And I thought I'd like to clarify that. What does it look like when you are transformed fully into the image of God? What would that look like? What is it that needs to change? Because we had that word just before I started. If God says move, move, God is saying move. But where to? One, two, three, go. But where to? What is God saying? Where are we going? Here is where we're going. God wants us to restore relationship with him. God wants to be intimate with you. This morning in worship, I could see that at times, all of us were in worship and focusing on God and actually hearing his voice and and experiencing some of it. And then there were some distractions. And often, it's, often I think it's people with brains have the biggest problem. Like, what did God give us brain? Huh? Why did he give us a brain? Because it gets in the way all the time. If it was just heart, I think we would focus on God way better. But our brain kicks in and it goes, this song is going on forever. Why are they singing this again? We've done this verse. It's like... I did put my hands in the air, but it feels awkward. It's like, what is this guy next to me doing? It's like, is there more coffee? <laughs> right? Did I do that assignment for school? No, look. Did I switch the oven off? <laughs> Don't worry, Eskom will switch it off for you. <laughs> no longer a problem in South Africa. So, the brain gets into the way, doesn't it? God wants us to change our minds. That's the image of God. How would you change? By changing your mind. So, is this in the Bible that I'm saying? Well, it is. Romans 8 is all about not living according to the flesh, but living according to the spirit. How does that influence my brain, my mind, right? Well, it does. So Romans 8 verse 5 says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds 
set on what nature desires or flesh, natural desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So many of us think that Christianity is everything we don't do. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't break the law. We don't lie. We don't... Yes? Actually, no. Christianity is more about what we do than what we don't do. We don't do certain things because we're busy doing something else. That's Christian life. God wants to transform your mind so that it's driven by something else. It's not driven by what I want. Why would I steal something? Well, because I want it. I think all of us have taken something that wasn't ours. Somewhere. Why? Because you wanted it. Maybe you were a little kid in the, in the sweetie shop and you took something. Why? Because you wanted it. And that is your natural desire, is to take what you, what you want. Actually, if you're living by the Spirit, you want to please God. And you know that doing the wrong thing wouldn't please your father. And therefore, you don't do that. So although there's this urge still in your natural desire to take what you want, take that relationship that you want to do silly things, drive faster than you should, because it's your right. To say things just the way you want to say it. Because, hey, I'm just straightforward. And I say things the way they are. No matter what cause injury I might cause to the next person. That's driven by flesh. That's a natural desire. But if you start becoming more driven by the spiritual desire of pleasing Father. Then you go, you know what? I no longer want to do that. I want to change me. And your, your very mind, your very brain starts use, being used by your spirit. And it's driven. The same thing. This is just a tool that God gave you. And this morning in worship, you could focus this whole thing that God gave you on him. And even intellectually worship God. And focus your, the thoughts and your desires on him. That would, be fl- that would be spirit. The Holy Spirit in you. I want to spend time with God. But all of us run out of time. All of us are only that sanctified. And somewhere... You get distracted. That is the flesh. And we, we battle that. And that's a process. And it's okay that it's a process. God knows that. And we're being transformed. So Romans 8 verse 5 sounds like we're all in trouble because it, it says, if you're according to the flesh, you have your mindset on flesh. And if in the spirit, then you... Do you want the spirit? There's another one that says, I want to see if I can find this quickly. Hey, 1 John 3 verse 5. There you go. We're going to be in trouble. It says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin, has either seen him or know him. Woo. I'm in trouble. 
Because if I only look at this one verse, I don't know, I don't know Jesus. Because I do stuff wrong still. And that's why it's important to see the entire Bible in context and to grab what is it that God wants to bring across. No one that keeps on sinning willfully knows Jesus. Because in that moment, you don't know God. You are knowing something else. Right. The journey here is one where we get more and more like God and more and more like God. And yesterday we were talking at my house with people and we said some stuff of what we did when we were kids. And I know some of the guys went like, what? You? No. Why? Because they only got to know me once God has been finished with some parts of me. And now if you look at my life, you'd go like, there's no way that you ever did that. That's the journey God's got all of us on. That when Satan stands in front of God and he's the accuser and he says, have you seen what Dorvi did? God's going to go, that was yesterday. You should see him today. My mercy is on you every morning, but you should see him today. Hasn't He's conquered that thing. That thing that you're accusing him of, conquered it. I no longer stand accused. Satan tries. But I'm being transformed into the image of God. So Romans 8, 29 says that. It says, for God knew me ahead of time, for knew me. He also planned, predestined my life. To be what? Conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among what? Many brothers. I'm, I'm a brother of Jesus. I'm a brother of Christ. Well, how? By the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. I get transformed, changed. So that my mind now is driven by God's spirit. And the desire to please him. And that's. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says the same thing. It says the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. Uh, there, you are, there we go. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That veil is talking about the veil that Moses put over his face. Remember? Moses saw God and he started shining the likeness of God. And the people said, we don't want to see God in you. It's too much. And he put a veil over him. Now it says, with unveiled faces, we can shine God. We don't have to, we don't have to hide him. Unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit in you is busy transforming you. But what God said this morning is when he says, move, move. And that this morning, I think, is, is really that. Now that we know where we should be moving to, where are we moving to? We're moving to a place where we're focusing on God's spirit. Every moment of your life, you want to please God. And you discern through God's spirit, between 
is this going in the direction of the flesh or is this going in the direction of the spirit? When I do this, is this more to God or is this more? And you do that the whole time. And that influences our whole life. And we no longer do things to look like we're right. We come into a right standing with God first. And then what it looks like on the outside is a simple result of what God is doing on the inside. Because nothing I do on the outside will impress God. He sees my heart. He wants to know, am I bringing my heart in line with him? And then I have the very mind of Christ. So the lie was, you can be more like God by experiencing wrong. And by experiencing that, you'd be able to make a better decision for yourself. And know what is right and wrong and hopefully choose right. What did they think was going to happen? The truth is, your mind is not made new every morning by the Spirit of God. Every morning. And you don't have to experience wrong to know what is right. Because you have the very Spirit of God in you that is restoring that image. And you're more and more and more like God as you choose right and not wrong. As you don't experience the wrong, you're more and more and more like God, being transformed into his image. So the scribes asked Jesus about, um, about the Ten Commandments, right? They set a trap to him. And they, I want this is, this is in the Bible so that we don't fall into that trap. Right. So, the Ten Commandments. So they said, what is the most important commandment, Jesus? Actually, they, I think they were referring to the 666 ones in Leviticus. I think, there's, I think it's something like that, over 600 of them in Leviticus. And they were like, which one's the most important one? And Jesus went, love God and love your neighbor. What did he do there? He took the trap away. The trap of trying to live right by my own power. The trap of conforming to what people will think. If I do this, will people still think I'm a Christian? If I don't go to the front, would people still think I'm worshipping God? And as much as I invite everybody to the front to come and worship, if God wants you to worship in the foyer, do it. If you worship God better in the aisle, do it. But worship him in, with your whole heart and your whole body and your whole mind. That's what's important. Not where you do it. Not what you look like on the outside. That's what God. Live your whole life. I said this during the, the tithe and offering. God wants your whole life. He does. He wants your whole life. Why? Because that's where it's safe. Love God. And out of that, love your neighbor. 
And then all those rules are applied. If you love, you won't steal, you won't murder, you won't cheat, you won't lie. If you love, love God. Jesus said that to the scribes. He said, you guys follow the law to the letter. You tithe. You know what they did? The Pharisees took dill. Dill is a spice. And they counted the leaves on the dill plant in their garden. And they went, okay, 100 leaves, 10 leaves for God. That's ridiculous. But that's what he said. He said, you count the leaves on your dill plant to make sure that on the outside you are following the law. But righteousness, fairness, those things you don't apply. You should have applied the latter without not doing the former. So yes, you should still follow my law. Yes, you should still tithe. But not out of compulsion. Not to show that you're do, doing what, what, the, what the law says or the, or the rules are. You should have done it because you love me. So, this morning, flesh or spirit... What is driving your decisions? And I said this earlier, that the first place we always have to start with is we need Jesus. Nothing matters unless you have Jesus. Nothing. Not success, not failure, nothing. The Bible was not written for the unsaved. So the only part of the Bible that we have to worry about if we don't have Jesus is the part that I said, God so much loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross so that whosoever believes in him might have everlasting life. That is the only part of the Bible that has anything to say to people that don't have Jesus. The rest of the Bible was written to people that's already received Jesus, that's already said, God, I want to live to please you. The rest of the Bible instructs us how. We cannot follow the laws without Jesus in our hearts because without Jesus in your heart, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So you can't please God. You don't have what it takes. You, you don't, you lack God. So, this morning, I think I'm going to ask us to, let's close our eyes. Why? Because we are worried about what the guy next door thinks. So, I would like you to focus your attention on God. God the Father, a loving Father, not an earthly broken picture, but a a loving Father, a Father who wants to welcome each one of us into his presence, meaning to be 
enveloped by him in his presence around us his love surrounds us God wants to say my love wants to surround you come into that and to do that you need to accept my son and his sacrifice his blood that was poured out for each one of us and if you haven't done that it is as simple as making that decision If you want to make that decision today, this morning, of saying, Jesus, have my heart, have my life, I would like you to raise your hand. Come into my life. Have my whole life. I no longer want to live my life for me. I want to live my life for you. I'd like all of us to pray together. Because it's good for us to say this prayer anyway. And it helps those sitting next to you that's given their hearts that you pray with them. So let's say this prayer together. Father God, today, I want to accept the price that your son paid. I want to give you my life. My whole life. Come and rule and reign over me. Please give me your Holy Spirit. To fill me. And to talk to me. And to guide me. Make me sensitive. To your spirit. And to your word. Father come fill me with your love. Surround me with your love. And help me. To be transformed. Into the image of your son. So if you did respond, I'd actually like you to either reach out to me or to your community leader, if you're in a community, or to somebody that brought you here, and uh, come and talk. Because this is a journey. This is being transformed. And there's something that happens now. So as much as we go, I want to be saved, I'm also being saved. And I can't climb out of that journey. If I climb out of that journey, then at the very least, I'm not going to become more and more like Christ. Right. And what we've seen is, very often, people that climb out of the journey become less and less like Christ. And that's why God surrounds us with one another. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Why? Because your neighbor needs your love. And he was talking about the guys in church with us. 
He didn't say you have to love the love the guy next down over the hill that you can't see in Timbuktu. That's easy to love the guy that you have no connection with. The hard guy to love is the guy that sits sitting right next to you right now. Because they're there all the time. <laughs> Not Yana, Yana's easy to love. <laughs> but it is. It is the hard people to love. Or as me, I'm hard to love. Ask my wife. But that's who God commanded us to love, is each other. Why? Because I need your love, and you need mine. And that's the journey that I want to, uh, us to share with the guys that just responded. So talk to somebody. Talk to your community leader, or come and talk to me, and uh, let's go on a journey together. Yes?